Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Coffee with a friend is like capturing joy in a cup. Welcome to the Coffee with Jenny B podcast, hosted by Jenny B, a lover of all things coffee. Each week, Jenny will chat about connecting over coffee, what brings her joy, and everything in between. A lot can happen over coffee, so grab a cup, sit back, and enjoy. Now here's your host, Jenny B. Hello and welcome. I think throughout my entire life, I've been on a million diets. Well, that's an exaggeration, but it feels like it. I've tried everything from cabbage soup diet to keto to Weight Watchers, you name it. And every time I think I've lost a few pounds or feel really good about what what I'm doing, I go off my diet. I give in to temptations or, you know, life changes or whatever happens. And every single time I feel like I'm a failure, that I've failed to do it. And it can be a little demoralizing to think that you are controlled by what you eat. And what's interesting is that it really does a number on our mindset. My guest today is going to help us think about a different way of looking at eating and also switching our mindset about the idea of failure. It's Rochelle Sabarin. She is a registered dietitian and a certified intuitive eating counselor. Please help me welcome Rochelle. Hi, Rochelle. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You know, I've been following you on uh, on Instagram for a while now, and I really love your posts. The one post that really caught my attention was when you posted a quote from Neil Pasricha. <laughs> That's a hard one to say. It is, and it was yeah. about, about failure and looking at failure a different way. And so I thought, you know what? I want to get Rochelle on my podcast, and so we can talk about that, because I own the book, You Are Awesome, which you also own. And so we can talk about that a little bit later on. But tell me, so how did you get into the field of intuitive eating? And did that influence you becoming a dietitian? Uh, So I've been a dietitian now for over 10 years. Like I've always kind of had a passion for eating disorders and um, just helping people kind of move away from diet culture. But more so like in the last few years, intuitive eating has really kind of caught my attention. I've just found that it's kind of like a revolutionary way of thinking that really gets people back to listening to their hunger and fullness cues, getting more in tune with their body and respecting their body and just rediscovering the pleasures of eating. I became a certified intuitive eating counselor. Uh, I started that process about two years ago, and I've just fallen in love with intuitive eating. I started by reading the intuitive eating book uh, by Evelyn Triboli and Elsa Reach, and I just fell in love with it and had to keep going and pursuing more. Oh my goodness. So so basically that was a, a life changer for you. 
Yes, it was a life changer. Like reading this book just changed my whole perspective on things and how I want to work with my clients and just help them kind of with their struggles with dieting and just making peace with food and really enjoying food again. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and you know what? And I love to eat and I love all the good stuff. And I remember a friend uh, (laughs) telling me one day, you shouldn't deprive yourself of the food that you love, but maybe sometimes too much is too much or you know, even though it's really good for you, you can have too much. Would would you say that that is sometimes a problem? So the thing is, when you're restricting or depriving yourself, usually you tend to think more of those foods. Okay, that makes sense. Like you, you, yeah, you tend to like hyper focus on those foods, and you want those foods more. You crave those foods more. So the more that you tend to give yourself permission to have those foods, like unconditional permission, the more that you tend to not crave those foods and want to maybe overeat those foods or overindulge. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense too, because you're right. I mean, if I'm, let's say I'm on a restrictive diet right now because I want to lose 10 pounds to get into this dress that I want to wear, which is not (laughs) the best reason to do that. (laughs) And then all I'm thinking about are French fries and cheeseburgers and all, all that bad stuff. How do you switch your mindset, Uh, even though sometimes you have to be on that restrictive diet, but what can you do to think about it and say, you know what, I want that cheeseburger, but I'm not going to have it. I think like everything in moderation is fine. So I think allowing yourself to have that cheeseburger is okay. Because if you're saying I can't have that cheeseburger, then all you're going to be doing is thinking about having that cheeseburger. (laughs) And then if you let yourself have that cheeseburger, you're going to have it. And then you're not going to be craving it all the time. Like you're going to have a, you might even discover you don't like cheeseburgers. Okay. Maybe once you allow yourself to eat the cheeseburger, you're going to have a quarter, half of the cheeseburger. And then you're like, that's fine. That's all I needed. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Um, like treating yourself to that little square of dark chocolate that sometimes that's all you need instead of eating the whole bar. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think it's fine to give yourself permission to have the foods that you like. And it's important to incorporate different foods that you like too. Okay. Now there's a lot to be said about the Canada Food Guide. And I know that it's been modified over the years. How do you feel about the Canada Food Guide when it comes to intuitive eating? The old Canada's Food Guide used to focus on having a specific amount of portions every day of all of the four different food groups. And I like the direction that it's gone now. It's more kind of focused on mindful eating and listening to your body. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily tell you to have a certain amount of portions, which I like, because you're going to need a different amount of calories than I do. Right. Depending on the day and the physical activity that you're doing, you're going to need different amounts of calories too. So I like the direction that it's taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. And I, I like that it increases the amount of fruits and vegetables that they're recommending you eat, you know, going into more of a plant-based diet, I guess. Yeah, I, I like that as well. Yeah. Although I did say diet because some people think of diet as that four-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So maybe it's more of a, a more of a healthy eating plan, so to speak. Yeah, I would say like it's more trying to just have like a balanced, a focus on having like a balanced eating, like of a variety of different foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the Pareto Principle talks about 80-20. And it's funny about the 80-20 because someone told me that 80-20 also applies to what you eat. So if you're eating healthy 80% of the time, then that 20% of the time is when you can treat yourself. What do you think about that? I think that intuitive eating, it allows you to have all different foods that you like. It can incorporate whatever your favorite foods are and listening to your body. Mm-hmm. So with that, you're getting a variety. So it's hard to say if it meets like the 80-20. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly, because you're not measuring percentages exactly, but you're getting a huge variety. So you're going to be getting a lot of foods that have a lot of nutritious health benefits. And it's just like another way of eating where you're focusing on having a variety. Like I wouldn't say if it necessarily fits the 80-20 exactly. It's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. And I guess maybe 80-20 is more of an excuse that, you know, okay, so I was good today. And so tomorrow I can indulge, so to speak, and not feel guilty about it. Yeah. And with intuitive eating, you're really trying to get away from that mindset too of like, oh, I was good today. And then so tomorrow I can be bad. Like you're really getting away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes food can make you feel really guilty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've done that too. uh, Let's say I meant to eat a quarter of a pizza and then I ended up eating the whole pizza. And then I'm berating myself for the rest of the night. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe that. You know, I'm such a pig, failed. And I, you know, I shouldn't do that. And that's bad for us, you know, because we're actually being mean to ourselves. Yes. And that can be like really hard for your mental health too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And your self-esteem. Yeah. With intuitive eating, you can't really necessarily fail. It's an ongoing learning process where you're becoming more in tune with your body on an ongoing basis. Okay. I like that. Now, so if I were to say, hey, Rochelle, I want to really get into more of that intuitive eating. So how do you get me started on that path? So walk me through what you would do with your clients. So there are 10 different principles with intuitive eating. The first principle is kind of like breaking away from diet culture. So that's kind of like the first step I would take. Some of my clients that I'm working with as well, like they are struggling with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So I might not use intuitive eating principles right away. So it's really like a customized approach to see what's appropriate for that person. Okay. And there is like an intuitive eating questionnaire that I use with clients and you can find it in the intuitive eating book as well. Okay. So I kind of go through that with my clients too, to see where they're at and which principles they need to focus more on. Mm -hmm. That sounds really good. And so Back to someone who is maybe dealing with an eating disorder, because usually that stems from something that's happened, perhaps maybe in their childhood or whenever it's happened in their life. So how do you, I guess, not heal, but how do you sort of connect with that first before then looking at the eating plan or balanced plan uh, for them? How would that work? So yeah, you're right. Like eating disorders are about so much more than food. Like a lot of times there's like some trauma or... Mm -hmm. There's, there's a lot behind it. So it's really helpful for me, like as a dietitian, to like work alongside the client's therapist and their medical doctor as well to have kind of like a collaborative approach mm-hmm. with that client. But yeah, it can be kind of complicated sometimes. And it, there's so many different types of eating disorders as well. So it's such a customized approach to help every person. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense that it's more of an intuitive because you're right what you said earlier that you and I are different in terms of, you know, the way we approach eating, the different foods that we like, you know, if we're a vegan or if we have certain allergies such as gluten allergies and so on. And also it makes sense for your lifestyle too, because if I was say a more sedentary person versus uh, someone who's always busy and active, it would be a different plan altogether, wouldn't it? Yeah. There's so much that goes into like everybody's care plan for nutrition. So yeah. And I like what you said about nutrition because it's not just eating, it's the love that you're putting into your body in a sense, because food is love in in certain ways. And I like your idea of looking at it in a different way so that it's not just I'm eating to survive, but I'm eating to heal myself or to show myself some love. Do you find that that's effective? Yeah, I love that. That's 
food is love. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> and I, I love food. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because my husband can tell like if, if I'm cooking something, if I do it in a hurry, he can tell the difference between if I take some time to really think about what I'm doing and he can taste the difference in the food. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. There is a movie called like Water for Chocolate and it's in Spanish with English subtitles if you get a chance to watch it. Anyway, in the movie, there's this, um, there's this woman whose emotions would translate into her food. And there was one scene where she's making soup and she's sad for some reason. I can't remember why, but she was crying and the tears were falling into her soup. And then everybody who was eating the soup also started crying. <laughs> oh, I know. It is sad, but you know, but it made me think that food has such an impact on how we feel. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And there's so many people that are struggling with emotional eating right mm-hmm. now with COVID. Oh, yeah. 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 Now, do you feel that um, being isolated, I guess, the way we have been with COVID has made it harder for people who are trying to stay on the healthy path, so to speak? I would say definitely. COVID has affected people trying to live like a healthier life because definitely people don't have the same kind of coping mechanisms available to them. They don't have the same social networks. Mm -hmm. So that has been a struggle for people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you feel has been your biggest takeaway from your experience working in the field of intuitive eating? I think kindness to yourself goes a long way and we could all just use to be more kind to ourselves and kind to each other. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like my biggest takeaway. Like a positive relationship with food starts so early on. Mm -hmm. So I think like helping kids develop a positive relationship with food helps them so much later on in their life. Yeah, absolutely. I want to share a a story that my daughter told me a little while ago. So my granddaughter Lenny is four. And for some reason, I don't know where she got it, whether... She saw it on a cartoon or a video. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But all of a sudden, she said to her mom, uh, I, don't, I don't eat junk food anymore. Mm. And she was even saying cake. Um, cake, is, cake is junk food. You know, sugar is bad for you. And she's four. That's scary. It is scary. And so my daughter said to us, you know, don't say it's junk food. Just say, here's a nice piece of delicious whatever it is so that she's not restricting herself. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of scary that kids are starting to think about restricting themselves in terms of, you know, oh, I can't eat that because that's bad for me. Mm-hmm. So as a parent or a grandparent, how would you suggest that we approach that and try to gently steer her away from that idea? I love that you brought this up because I think it's such an important topic. I think kids are listening to us so much. So if we're on a diet they're watching that. They're listening to that. So it's really important that we try to talk about food like as neutrally as possible. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like not saying that certain foods are good or certain foods are bad. Like food is just food, basically. Like your granddaughter, she's thinking cake is bad. Yeah. And like kids develop eating disorders very young sometimes. So yeah, we want to try to like just refrain from using the term junk food too with mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. So instead of saying, uh, okay, so uh, today we're going to have junk food, we're going to eat chips and pop and and so on. So maybe instead of calling it junk food, we could say, let's have a fun treat today. 
Yes, or like play food sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. People can use that expression. Um, and, you know, just incorporating these kind of fun foods like cake, chips, um, <laughs> those kind of foods like on an ongoing basis. Like you don't have to have a lot of it every day in your house, mm. but just incorporating it so kids don't feel restricted. So thinking that maybe, okay, we're going to have movie night. And so on movie night, we can have, you know, we can have our favorite uh, chips or, you know, cookies or whatever it is. And so make like a special occasion to have the fun foods. And so that that way they have something to look forward to. Yes, you could do thinking that, that they're feeling deprived. Yeah. Yeah. Because once kids start feeling deprived too, then they could get kind of like in a restrictive and like a restrictive cycle. And, and you know what? And social media really does not help in this situation because so many ads pop up for diets and for body image and all the other things. And you start thinking that, you know, getting back to that sort of failure that, well, I, you know, you lost weight on that plan and I couldn't and what's wrong with me that I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And like studies show that 95% of diets fail. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I'm surprised it's not a hundred percent. Getting back to that whole idea of diet is that that four letter word or another way that somebody told me and it just came to me, diet is actually stand for did I eat today? I like that. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. 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 yeah, I like I like that better because sometimes we can go through an entire day and I've done it before where I'm like super busy and all of a sudden it's four o'clock and it's like, you know what? I haven't eaten today and now I'm like famished, you know, and I, I just want to eat like everything in the house. <laughs> yeah. And that's when people tend to like overeat because you didn't eat for the whole day. So, yeah, I know it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, it's Jenny. We'll get back to the show in a moment. But first, I invite you to check out my website, coffeewithjennyb.ca. That's Jenny with a G, where you'll find all the links to my episodes. You'll also find a variety of coffee gifts available for purchase, including my branded bag of Red Door Coffee Beans from Harrison's Coffee Company. As well, you'll find a link to join the Winnipeg Coffee Community Facebook group. I'll also be posting info about upcoming coffee tours and coffee nights. So keep checking my website for updates. You can also follow me on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. Now let's get back to the show. So getting back to the idea of failure and talking about the book, You Are Awesome. So you told me that your husband gave you this book as a gift. Yeah, he gave it to me last year on April 23rd. Like a long story short, we went to Barcelona for our honeymoon. Oh, nice. And on April 23rd, part of their traditions is giving your partner like a book and a rose. No way. I love that. Yeah. So now he tries to do that every year, like giving me a book on April 23rd. Aww. Uh, yeah. And I had just started my like business shortly before that. So he thought it was like an appropriate book to talk about how you wrestle with failure and navigating change. Absolutely. And it also says living an intentional life. You know, so when I think about intent, my intent is to be healthier, to be happier, to be more open to trying different things. And so being intentional is sort of the opposite of feeling that you're a failure, isn't it? Yes, I agree. Yeah. 
so yeah, there's one part in the book that I don't agree with. On the first page, it says you are what you eat. And I don't believe that food can really have morality, like making you a good or bad person. Mm -hmm. So that's like one of the only things that I don't agree with in this book. I love this book. Yeah, no, it's great. But you're right. So if I'm eating junk food all the time, does that mean that I'm junk? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So versus if if I'm eating fruits and vegetables all the time, does that make me a vegan? You know, so it's, it's actually putting labels on yourself, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not that simple. And yeah, just because you eat junk, like you're not junk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So failure, though, like it, it's hard to get past that because whenever you start out and not just with eating, but with anything in your life, you know, you start a business and all of a sudden the business collapses, you know, for whatever reason. And you think, oh, well, that's another thing I failed. And it kind of wears you down after a while. So when it comes to food, I guess, or looking at changing the way that you are looking or dealing with food, what can you do to switch that mindset around? I think, you know, if you have a time where you don't feel like, where you feel like you struggled and you weren't very maybe successful with um, your eating, like perhaps you overate, try to maybe reflect back on that and always come from a place of curiosity and take it as a learning opportunity like what was going on at that time in your life like how are you feeling Mm. Um, is there anything maybe you would do differently next time like any different coping strategies you would use okay I like that so journaling your thoughts so for instance if uh, all of a sudden you know I had really bad heartburn for whatever reason let's just say and so thinking about okay so what did I eat that led to that point and it's like oh yeah I ate some chips that have oil and the oil caused my heartburn. But in some cases, it could be something a little serious. So it could be a medical condition that you're dealing with and perhaps not realizing that certain foods can aggravate that condition. So I like that idea of keeping track of, okay, so how did I feel and what was I eating at the time and maybe what foods can I avoid next time? And almost like healing ourselves with food in a sense. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I use journaling as a tool a lot for people when when they're struggling with their eating to kind of reflect back on like how they were feeling, um, their moods, mm-hmm. different things. Yeah, and moods can play a huge part. Like if I've had a stressful day and it's just been like one thing after another, the first thing I do <laughs> is I madly search in the house for anything and I've had a friend say that she's even resorted to eating chocolate chips out of her out of her baking chocolate chips <laughs> because she just needs something to counteract that that bad mood that she was in. Yeah. And and I think it's like it's normal to do some emotional eating. Like we all kind of use food to cope sometimes with different emotions like but it's when food is like used as your only emotional coping tool then that okay. that can be like a real kind of struggle. So when you find you're using food as like your only emotional coping tool, then it's time to kind of maybe reach out and get some help. And book a session with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I want to think about, you, had, you said something about thinking about what you're doing in a sense when it comes to food. How does meditation play into healing yourself or being more intuitive with your body and your eating? I think meditation is kind of another kind of like way to get in tune with your body. And a lot of people find that can kind of calm them. And it's like a self-care kind of 
technique. I'm not that familiar with meditation, but that's what I've kind of gained from my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's that whole kind of almost distancing yourself from that feeling of that urge that you need to eat something and instead thinking, okay, you know, maybe instead of eating that, whatever it is, I might just have a glass of water because sometimes hunger is actually, you're really thirsty. Oh. Yes, it it depends. Like, I think it's always good to kind of reflect back and listen to your body. Like, if you are hungry, then it's important to eat. But sometimes you might not actually be hungry and you're just using food as a way to cope with different kind of stressors that are going on or different things in your life. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And how do you feel about using different substances to suppress your hunger? So, for instance, there are the, not necessarily, I'm not talking about diet pills or anything yeah, like that, yeah. but... Those uh, energy drinks, you know, that unfortunately have a lot of sugar, which is sort of counteractive to what you should be doing. But in some ways that, and I guess it's the caffeine and the energy drinks that suppresses or helps to kind of suppress the appetite. I would say you're kind of like moving away from intuitive eating if you're using things like energy drinks or different kind of ways to suppress your appetite. And then at some point, you're likely going to be overeating you can only suppress your appetite for so long and then you're likely going to be choosing maybe like foods that are higher in sugar and salt and um, you mm -hmm. won't be able to listen to your body as well once your appetite does come back and you can't suppress it any longer. Right. So you've sort of lost touch with your body at that point. Yeah. And you're, I think you're shifting away from like internal cues that your body's trying to help you listen to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, because my podcast is Coffee with Jenny B, I do want to talk about coffee because I know that everything that I've read says that you shouldn't drink coffee on an empty stomach. So when you get up in the morning, you should have a glass of water and then maybe have something to eat and then have your coffee. But my go-to first thing in the morning is I have to have that cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I'll have something to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I think everyone is kind of different too. And I'm a coffee drinker. Like I love coffee and mm -hmm. don't mess with my <laughs> coffee too. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is important to try to like eat in the morning. So like if you are going to drink coffee, then try to eat shortly after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like have a, a piece of toast or something. Because I know that I, I have a friend who drinks coffee, like they can drink a pot and a, pot and a half of coffee just in the morning. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I love my coffee, but for me, I think three cups is the limit for me when it comes to drinking coffee during the day. Although I have said in the past, there's no such thing as too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the thing is too, like if you're using coffee to suppress your appetite, then that could be a concern too. Yeah. Or yeah. like sometimes drinking a lot of coffee can make you more anxious too. So it all comes mm -hmm. back to like listening to your body and respecting yeah. your body. Yeah, absolutely. And not looking at coffee like food in a sense that you have to have it. It's more of a, a pleasure, yeah. you know, enjoying that cup of coffee or, you know, sometimes treating yourself to a latte. Mm -hmm. And instead of thinking, oh, you know, well, I'll, you know, I should order, you know, nonfat milk and, you know, no whipping cream. And in other words, you're just depriving yourself from a treat that you were going to have. Mm -hmm. So have the whipping cream, you know, have the full fat milk, have the syrup and so on and so forth. And then, not have it tomorrow. A hundred percent. Like let yourself, like allow yourself to have those specialty drinks. Like maybe you're not having it every day, but like, you know, allow yourself that in that pleasure of having those drinks. I myself used to be very much into like the dieting world myself that mm -hmm. like dietetics kind of has a lot of 
sometimes it has a lot of like the students were really kind of immersed in dieting ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, so I used to not really allow myself to have specialty coffee drinks too. It would be like the low fat artificial sweetener, like no calories. And now I allow myself to have the specialty coffee drinks and I don't feel deprived Mm -hmm. and I really enjoy it. Yeah. Because it's a treat versus something that you're having every day. Yeah, exactly. And when I think about a treat, it's something that I look forward to. You know, like if my husband is saying, you know, Saturday, we're going to go out for dinner and I know that, you know, I'm going to have dessert and I'm going to have wine and so on and so forth. Maybe what I might do during the day is I might have a salad or I might eat a little lighter. So there's that balance between, I know I want to indulge and that's my treat. So I'm going to be, and I don't want to say I'm going to be good because, you know, the good versus bad thing is is wrong, but I'm going to, I guess, eat a little healthier during the day, knowing that. I'm going to indulge and save my calories, so to speak, for the evening. So is it okay to think that way, that I'm saving my calories? I think I would just be careful because maybe if you're going to like save your calories, then you're going to overindulge in the evening and then you might eat to the point where you feel sick. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so it's that fine balance. But uh, I understand what you mean. You want to listen to your body and then have an appetite to enjoy those calories later. So it's always like a fine balance. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes to get that balance right. Because again, uh, so same scenario, we're going out for dinner and I'm going to have dessert and wine and so on. And then I decide that, you know what, I had something a little bit more fattening during the day. So then now I'm going to dinner. It's like, oh, you know, I can't have dessert because I ate this at lunchtime. Mm -hmm. And, And so basically I'm defeating or I'm not defeating myself, but I'm spoiling my treat in a sense. Do you find that that sometimes happens? Where like you're spoiling your treat because maybe you're not hungry when you're going for supper. Is that kind of what you're saying? Um, I think what I'm saying is that, you know, if I'm looking forward to eating and so then my idea is that I'm going to eat a little lighter so that I'm saving myself for my treat. But I guess in a sense that I'm not really doing that correct. Well, not correctly, but I'm not really listening to my body because if I'm listening to my body and let's say... I want to have a bacon and tomato sandwich at lunchtime because that's what I was craving. And then I'm okay to eat perhaps not as much as I was going to, Mm -hmm. but again, still listening to my body and not thinking, well, I'm going out for dinner, so I should eat the bread and I should eat dessert and we're going to have appetizers. And, and it's not so much what I feel like eating, what my body's telling me to eat, but what society, or I guess what we think we should eat when we go out for dinner. Yeah. Like every situation is kind of like individualized and yeah, it's like, it's a, I can't emphasize enough. It's like a constant learning process. What's going to work for your body. And maybe like one day it works for you and then another time it doesn't too. So it's just like a constant learning process Mm -hmm. with intuitive eating. And does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, it it does. And you're right. It it gets back to listening to our bodies and deciding what it, what we feel like, because you're right. One day we might be hungry and eat a big steak. And then the next day we're going to have a salad because that's what we feel like, depending on a number of circumstances. You know, it could be, are we exercising that day or are we more sedentary, you know? And sometimes I guess your output can determine what your input is. Would you, would you say that would be a fair assessment? Yeah. Like if you're going to be exercising more, you are likely going to be more hungry and then your hunger cues are going to tell you to eat more. 
So yeah, I would say like in most cases, if you're exercising more, you're going to be eating more in most cases. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a girlfriend actually who actually told me that she exercises so she can eat. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she's like totally flipped it around. Yeah. That can be another kind of like scary situation to get into. Um, So with intuitive eating, it really puts a focus on like doing movement that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because yeah, like if you're exercising to eat, you're kind of getting in that deprivation cycle again. And then that could lead to dieting, binging. Yeah. And there's a number of different ways that you can basically harm yourself with the idea that you think what you're doing is the right thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like a a scary cycle that people can get into sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And so now if let's say someone was struggling a little bit and they wanted to book a session with you, what would you recommend that they do? Um, Like prior to connecting with me, I guess you're saying. Yeah. Or let's say somebody was struggling and somebody recommended that they contact you and they want to learn more about intuitive eating. What would you suggest would be their first step? Um, I think like reading, they don't have to necessarily read the book, but um, reading the intuitive eating book, a a revolutionary anti-diet approach that can be very helpful for just learning more about intuitive eating. Um, But they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have to do that. Like I'll go through kind of the steps to becoming an intuitive eater with them. Oh, good. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I guess is the plan uh, different for everyone in terms of how much time or what, I guess it's, it's all individual. Yeah. So I kind of work with the person to see what's best for them. Um, Like right now I'm working with someone that they need a lot of one-on-one. So like weekly I'm meeting with them and then other people Mm -hmm. it's, monthly, I may be touching base with them or every three months. It really, yeah, it really depends on their situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you're right. It depends on the situation and what they're going through. It's good to know that, you know, you do offer those options for whoever needs it. Yeah. It's yeah. nice for people to like have a resource. Yeah. So what do you see next for you in terms of being like your, your career as a registered dietitian, intuitive eating, what would you like to do next in terms of uh, going down that path? Right now, I'm trying to focus on making an intuitive eating group program because I think a lot mm. of people would benefit from that. Yeah. And just kind of like taking people through the steps of becoming an intuitive eater and the 10 principles. So that's kind of something that I have in the works. And I think like a lot of people would benefit from that too, because sometimes it might be hard for people to financially commit to like one-on-one meeting with a dietitian, but in a group program, it might be more affordable for people. And in a group Mm -hmm. setting too, people, they can connect with other people. And sometimes that connection is nice too. And I get that because, you know, I'm all about connection and connecting with each other and, and sometimes sharing your story can be a beacon of light to someone else that, or maybe it's like, oh yeah, I'm doing that too. And so again, you're sharing your experiences and find that anytime you connect and share, it helps everyone involved. Yes, I totally agree. Especially like in these times, people are looking for connection. So yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Rochelle, for being here. I really appreciate your insights into the world of intuitive eating and giving us some tips on how we can switch our mindset. And instead of feeling like a failure, it's more of a learning process and learning about ourselves every day. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So until next time, think about loving yourself, listening to your body, learning new things about your body and learning to love food and learning to trust yourself in the process. 
And if you need any help in dealing with any diet, traumas, etc., please reach out to Rochelle Sabarin. Thanks so much for listening. If you like Coffee with Jenny B and want to know more, connect with Jenny on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. That's Jenny with a G. Until then, all you need is joy and more coffee. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.